Good morning to each of you. Thank you all for having me and my family again this morning. It is our, our pleasure to be here this beautiful Lord's Day. Will you open the Word of God this morning to the book of the Revelation? The Revelation of Jesus Christ, as it is titled in the first few words, chapter 2. This morning we'll be looking at the Lord's message to the church in Ephesus. The title of this morning's message is Leaving Our First Love. Verses 1 through 7 of the Revelation chapter 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which, they, which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The church of Ephesus is a very sound church. They, have, they now have a message from the Lord himself. It has been some 40 years since they have been established. They've been a church, a local New Testament body of baptized believers that covenant together to worship the living God out of his word. They, they have been there for some 40 years and now they have a message directly from the Lord himself. I would like for us this morning to, to put ourselves into their shoes because they're people just like us. They are church members. They, they have lives outside of church just like we all do. They are people no different than ourselves. The, the Lord said in, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, I believe, I believe it is, there has no temptation taken you but that which is common to man. So there's nothing, nothing special about what they're going through. This isn't a special circumstance. This is given to us for our learning. This is an actual church with actual people going through an actual trial, an actual issue that the Lord had with them. And it is a, uh, a point of learning for us, for the seven churches here in the book of the Revelation, would also be uh, uh, pictures. They would be um, um, uh, the character characteristic of churches throughout all of the church age. There will be churches just like this throughout the entirety of the church age. These are given to us for our learning, that we may learn from their mistakes. May we, may we learn from the word of God, what it is he would have us to learn. So in verse 1, we see the speaker. The speaker. It is, it is the Lord Jesus Christ here in verse 1, unto the angel of the church at Ephesus, write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Will you come back to chapter 1, where we see where, where the, the imagery that he is drawing from. Chapter 1 in verse 11. Just so you get it from the Word of God, you don't just hear it from the preacher. You shouldn't believe something just because I say it. You ought to believe it because the Word of God says it. Amen? Amen? Verse 11, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, 
the first and the last, what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and into, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. Remember, it was he, he that, that dwells in the midst. He that walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven golden candle, seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. It is the one that said, Alpha and Omega, I am Alpha and Omega. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have a red letter Bible, you know that already. Dropping down to verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. This is, John actually saw these things, but the two-edged sword is a, is a symbol that his words cause things to happen. When the Lord said, let there be light, he didn't then have to form the light. He formed the light with his words, and there was light. We read that in Genesis. At the, at the end, in, I believe it's in chapter 19 of the book of the Revelation, he that has the sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth kills the Antichrist and his army, kills the beast and his army. All he has to do is speak a word. That's all he has to do is speak, and it is done. All he has to do is command, and it stands fast. Psalm 33, we're, uh, we're told that in the Psalms. His words accomplish things. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. Do you remember Paul describing how he saw the Lord Jesus Christ on the, on the road to Damascus? He describes it three times in the book of Acts. When one of this, in, one of the, uh, uh, in one of the times that he describes it, he describes the glory that he saw as brighter than the sun. Brighter than the sun shining. Here he is seeing the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. We'll get to what the seven stars are. We don't need to uh, uh, imagine what it is. We don't need to figure it out amongst ourselves. Well, this scholar says that. This scholar says that. The Lord's going to give us the interpretation of the seven stars as we continue reading. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Now, the Lord Jesus did not need to lay his hand upon him. This is, we, we take note of this. We'll notice something similar later on as he writes to the church at Ephesus. He lays his right hand upon him, a comforting hand. You do not need to be afraid. It is I. I am. I am the first and the last. You do not need to fear. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that is with him. He was, he was in fear where he did not need to fear, and the Lord laid a comforting hand upon him. Verse, verse 20, we now get the interpretation of the seven golden candlesticks and the seven stars that he held in his right hand. The mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven, and the seven stars are the angels, or the messengers, of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. So he holds the messengers in his hand. He will protect them until they bring back the message that the Lord was giving to John. He will protect them until they return that message. And the seven candlesticks that he is walking in the midst of, are the seven churches. We, we have noted in the past that the Lord dwells not only in his people, not only among, among his people where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst thereof, just as he said, but he also dwells in the midst of his churches. He dwells in the midst of his churches. We'll, we'll need to note those candlesticks later. 
but it is he that uh, is walking in the midst of the candlesticks and has the seven stars in his right hand that is the speaker. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. That way we may set the stage for what it is he is saying, what it is he is trying to communicate. In verses 2 and 3, we've noted in verse 1 the speaker. Verses 2 and 3, we note that they are a sound church. Verse 2, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and has found them liars, and has borne, and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and not fainted. They have done many wonderful and great works for the Lord Jesus Christ. They have labored. They've labored very abundantly. You remember Paul described his labor. Uh, I, the, the, the grace of the Lord was not bestowed upon me in vain. That, isn't, that is not that he could, the, the grace bestowed upon him he could have refused. We will not, we cannot refuse the Lord's grace. Grace, when, when He gives us grace, it is effectual. It is sufficient and effectual to get the job done. He's talking about the works in this life that He accomplished. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul did labor, a, a, a great labor. He labored very much more than, than many people. But he doesn't attribute it to himself. He attributes it, attributes it to the Lord God working in him, that which is well-pleasing in his sight. They have done many marvelous things. They have even had patience in the persecution. You see that, they, that he knows their works, their labor, and their patience. They've had patience in the persecution that they're going through. For there were many, many Christians that were going through a great deal of persecution during this time. The whole, much of the book of Hebrews is dealing with persecution. Jewish Christians being told, come back to the temple. Come back. We have an altar. We have, we have a high priest. See, he goes and gives sacrifices every day for you. We have an altar that he offers those sacrifices on. But what do we read in the book of Hebrews? We have an altar that they are not allowed to partake of, that the world doesn't get to partake of. That altar is the Lord Jesus Christ. Our high priest is our altar, is our sacrifice. He is the one that all of those things pointed towards. The, the persecution that they are going through, being told that they need to come back. There's nothing to go back to. That's, what, that's, the, that's the point that Paul in the book of Hebrews is making. There's nothing to go back to. The, the patience that they have in that, in that kind of persecution to endure in Christ's name. For his namesake, we read in verse 3. Has borne and has patience and for my namesake has labored and has not fainted. These are not people that have just done these marvelous works and said, oh, I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. They have gone through these things for Christ's namesake. They have had patience. This patience is, is more in reference to uh, situations, not people. And I'll show you that from, from the scriptures. That we use long-suffering and patience. You, you see in newer Bibles that, that they'll translate where, where the King James says long-suffering, they'll translate it patience. Because that's how we use that term today. But that's not how the scriptures use the term long-suffering versus patience. They are not interchangeable. Come to Colossians chapter, chapter 1 and I'll show you that the, that the Bible does not use them interchangeably. First, uh, or Colossians chapter 1 verse 11. 
strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness. Patience and long-suffering are not the same thing. Patience towards situations, long-suffering towards people. We are long-suffering with people. Second Timothy, just to give you two scriptures that show that very thing. Second, uh, Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 10. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. This is Paul speaking to Timothy, telling Timothy, you, you know full well my, my doctrine, the teaching that I have done, the manner of life that he has led, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Long-suffering and patience are not the same. They are used for two different things. Long-suffering with people, patience with situations. The Lord is not patient with the vessels of wrath. He is long-suffering with the vessels of wrath fitted for destruction. The Lord is also long-suffering with his people, we read in 2 Peter 3.9. He is long-suffering with us, or to usward, toward us, not willing that any of us should perish, but that all of us should come to repentance. He is, he is long-suffering with the vessels of wrath, and he is long-suffering with his people. He is not patient with us because we are not situations. We are patient with situations. We wait patiently for the Lord to work. The examples that they labored more, that they labored very, very hard, that they did many wonderful things for Christ's namesake, he provides us the two examples to show that very thing. They cannot bear, they can't not bear, verse 2, cannot bear them which are evil. They, they won't have anything to do with it. They can't bear those that are evil. And they have tried, they have proved, they have tested them which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. How much, can you imagine what it would have been like to be in their shoes they didn't have the entirety of the New Testament like we have today. They had the Old Testament, and they may have had some New Testament scriptures. How much discernment, how much going to God would it, would it have taken to discern false apostles? Imagine that. Remember, I asked for us to put ourselves into their shoes. They did not do this to show, oh, you're wrong and I'm right. They said that the Lord says that they did it for his namesake. They didn't just say, you're wrong, I'm right, and I do this in the name of Christ. They did it for Christ's namesake. They did it for his glory, and they did it by his power. We don't discern these things in and of ourselves. Daniel and all the prophets of old didn't discern dreams and, and know what to do next in and of themselves. The Lord God led them. Same way with these Christians. They... They, they, they sought the Lord, and the Lord answered them. They labored hard for the Lord's namesake. And you'll see in just a moment why it is that I'm emphasizing that they did it for his namesake, not just in his name. Some of us, that we've already gone through this in, in Sunday school, so maybe this is a refresher. But, but many of us have, have not gone through this, and, and there's more depth here than what we did in, in Sunday school. Nevertheless, verse 4. We have seen that, that the speaker is the Lord Jesus Christ and that the church at Ephesus is a sound church. But in verses 4 and 5, we see that they have separated from the truth. 
Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. They have separated from the truth in this one point. They have left their first love. Now, most commentators will say they left Christ. They left Christ, who is their first love. But he just said that he did all of those things for his namesake, not just simply in his name. They did not leave Christ. They did not leave Christ, but they had grown cold toward the brethren. Christ confirmed that they did not leave him, but they left, they left the love for the brethren. They have left their first love. Now, to give some background on this, history, I'm telling you that this is not, there is nothing in the scriptures that says this. History tells us that John, the apostle of love, as he, as he is described, the apostle of love, the disciple whom Jesus loved, did pastor this church at one point in time, before, before this time period. For John is the one writing to them. He is in prison, on a prison island in Patmos. In Ephesians, they had received this teaching from the apostle Paul. The apostle Paul, I know John is called the apostle of love, but the Apostle Paul, we could have easily given that name to him. Many say, oh, oh, he's, he's the stern apostle. He's the one who's very doctrinal, this, then, that, and this logically concludes to that point. Paul taught a lot about love. Paul taught a lot about love for the brethren. Come to Ephesians chapter 4, and you'll see, you'll see what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 1, so Ephesians is set up in, in this manner. Chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about what God has already done for us. Chapter 4 begins, I therefore, because of everything God has already done for you. He's writing to the saints. He's writing to those who are the faithful in Christ Jesus. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you. That's not besiege. I don't command you. I don't force you. I implore. I humbly beg. You to, that ye, all of you, walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. I implore you to walk worthy of what God has already done for you. Walk in accordance with His Word. He is the one who has saved you. He is your Lord. He is your Redeemer. Walk in the way that He says. Walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Drop down to verse, uh, verse 2. With all, how do we do that? How, how, would, how would God have us to walk? With all lowliness in, and meekness, with long-suffering, remember that it's towards people, forbearing one another in love. In love. Drop down just a, a few more verses. Verse 15. But speaking the truth in love. Men love to speak the truth, do we not? We love to... You're wrong. I'm right. Here's what the Word of God says. Here's, here's what the code says. Here's what, here's what this or that says. You're wrong. I'm right. But is that, is that really the way that we're supposed to treat one another? Now, the world doesn't know anything about love. So don't, I'm, I'm not trying to bring in the world's definition of love. We are not supposed to speak the truth, period. And we're not supposed to just speak love, period. Speak the truth in love. There is a balance that goes along with that. Paul loved the churches. Paul loved the churches very, very much so, yet he called the Galatians foolish. He was very concerned about what, what had gone on at the church in Galatia. 
keeping in mind what, it, what he means by speak the truth in love. And you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, your body requires every part of you to work correctly. The church requires every part of the church to work correctly, to function properly. Maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The building up of the church happens by loving one another. For, uh, dropping down yet further to chapter 5, verse 2. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. The same love that Christ had for us, we are told to walk with that same love toward one another, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. <clears throat> he is also the apostle that the Lord gave the words of 1 Corinthians 13, a passage that is cited at almost every wedding. And most, including myself, until, until you read it, you think that that's what it's referring to. But that's actually not what it's referring to. 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with tongues of men and of angels, yes, angels have a language, and it isn't gibberish. It is, it is an actual language. And have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or, or a, tinkling, tink, a tinkling cymbal. That is, if I speak in an unknown tongue, if I speak in an unknown language, you won't understand me. If I were to say that the Greek word is this and not tell you what it means, it's, it's as I'm sounding brass. It doesn't make any sense. That's why we, if, if the preacher or whoever you're talking to speaks in an unknown language, they have to give the understanding of what that language, of what that word means. It's not uh, um, that, that it's speaking as sounding brass. It's, that's what it come, becomes to the hearer. And though I have the gift of prophecy that is telling forth preaching and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains. You remember... Remember what the Lord said about if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall pray that this mountain be removed and it shall be cast into the sea. It shall, it shall be cleave in two and be cast into the sea. And have not charity. Old English term for love. I am not just have nothing. I am nothing. I may have all of those things, but I'm nothing if I don't have love. Nothing to the brethren if he doesn't have love. The church at Ephesus had everything right. They were a sound church. They had all the proper teachings. They had all the right doctrine. But they were missing one great thing. I am nothing if I have not charity. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, have not love, it profits me nothing. It's all for naught. If I'm not doing it in love, then it, then it means nothing. If I'm doing it to check a box... It means nothing. Charity, love, suffers long and is kind. Charity, love, envieth not. Love, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Look at me. Look how great I am. Look at what I've done. It doesn't puff itself up. Knowledge puffeth up. That's why we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we're not to then look at me. Look at what the Lord has taught me. Look at how much better I am. That is not... That is, is not where we are to be. We'll, we'll get to it in just a moment, but those things, we, we, we learn nothing of ourselves. Who taught you? Your, you had to be taught your own name. 
Somebody had to teach me my name. All the things that I know, somebody taught me. Whether it was by God or God was pleased to use some person to do it. We have nothing of, in and of ourselves. There is nothing to be puffed up about. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Uh, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the, in the truth. This is all actually about brotherly love. Love for God's people is what, is what he's referring to. They had left the love of the brethren. They had everything right. Just as Paul said, I, I may have everything doctrinally sound. But if I don't have love, I am nothing. Come to 1 John. We'll, we'll work backwards through John, through, through John's epistles and then through the Gospel of John to show you that this is cited over and over and over again. And I'll, I'll make it quick because <clears throat> I know I'm, I've already taken more time than I had intended. You finish reading that passage in 1, 1 Corinthians 13. It goes through verse 8 where Paul, where Paul is talking about uh, brotherly love. 2 John I about said chapter 1. There is no chapter. It is one, there's only one chapter. Second John 5 and 6. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. We should be walking in love toward one another. We are, we, are, we are Christ's. Why would we be walking in hatred for one another? Why would we not want to walk in love for one another? We may have nothing else in common but the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing we may have, we have in common. The Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that we are brethren by what he has done. By his blood, he has redeemed us and brought us together as the family, as the household of God. Us Gentiles here, I don't know if, we have, if there's any of Jewish descent, but us Gentiles here, we had nothing. We, we had nothing that we could expect from God. We were, we were aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. We, we were without God, without any promises in the world. But now, because of Christ, he has made of the two, Israel and the Gentiles, one new man. His body, Christians, Christ, Christendom, if you want to call it that. The people that he has redeemed were not Israel, but were also not just Gentiles. He is made of two, one new man. There's neither Jew nor Gentile in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is made of the two, one new man. He has brought us together by his blood and has redeemed us unto our God, made us kings and priests by what he has accomplished. First John 4 and verse 12. No man hath seen God at any time. If we say, if we love one another, hold on to that statement. We're going to get back. We're going to get back to why he says that. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. <clears throat> Drop down to verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out all fear, because fear has, hath torment, has torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. When we're, when we're fearing our brethren... It's, it's probably happened. You've probably said, well, this is what I see the scriptures to teach. Oh, well, then you're a heretic. I, I won't have fellowship with you. That's not love. That, that, has, that, love, that has torment. That's, that's fear. I, I, I don't want my brother to treat me that way. So that, that is fear. That has torment. Why would, we, why would we disown one whom Christ has purchased? Why would we have nothing to do with them? 
when the Lord has everything to do with them. Are we better than our God? Absolutely not. Verse 19, we love him. Why do we love God? Not because we chose to, not because, well, of all, you know, all, of, all of these uh, reasons that we formulated in and of ourselves, but because he first loved us. He loved us. That is why we love him. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he's a liar. He does not love God, for he loveth not his brother whom he hath seen. Remember, no man hath seen God at any time. How can he love God whom he hath not seen? That, that hits home. That hits home. How can we, how can we hate our brother? It's talking a brother, a brother in Christ. How can we hate our brother and say we love God? These things are inconsistent. Because if God loves that brother and God loves us, there ought to not be hatred. There ought to not be hatred one toward another. Backing up to chapter 3 and verse 11. For this is the message ye heard from the beginning. That we should love one another. Now, I'm, I'm showing, I'm, I'm trying to illustrate how often this is in the scriptures. It is not hidden. And it is a big, it is a big thing to the Lord Jesus Christ. That we should love one another. <clears throat> Verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Okay, here is a test. How do we know we have passed from death to life? Because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Ouch. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. That is how we know that we have passed from death to life. Hereby we perceive, verse 16, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you feel that way about your brethren? That you you would be willing to lay down your life for them? We, we still have the flesh. There are things that we struggle with. These are given to us as exhortations, admonitions, that we would know, the, that we would know how the Lord would have us to walk. That Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, is, is the understanding. You see it in Hebrews. You see it in Romans. Romans 1 through 11, all about what God has done for you. 12 begins with, I therefore, because of everything God has done for you, uh, give your body a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Don't offer yourself on an altar. A living sacrifice, for this is your reasonable service. For what God has done for us, walking in his ways, doing what he would bid us to do, this is among those admonitions, those exhortations. We struggle with things. But this is a big deal. That is why, that is why it is given, given to the church at Ephesus, that it is such a big deal to the Lord. <clears throat> Verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Don't just say it. Do it. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Verse 20, 23. And this is, the, this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. It's important. It's important. Something we need, something we need, we need to know, we need to understand. Come back to the gospel according to John. Chapter 15 and verse 17. <clears throat> Here the word of the living and the true God reads, These things I command you. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is alone with the eleven. Judas has already gone. 
He has already bid Judas farewell. Go, what, what thou doest, do quickly. It is just the 11 disciples, the, uh, the 11 true Christians of the 12. One of them was a devil, Judas Iscariot. <clears throat> that you love one another. That, that's what he gave, that is one of the things that he gave us to do. Verse 12, dropping back. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. That's a great love. That's a great love. <clears throat> I, I, I'm in my personal reading. I'm reading through Ephesians, uh, reading through the New Testament. I just happened to be in Ephesians chapter 2. I had never seen before. Verse 4 of chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, with a great love wherewith he loved us. I always just stopped the thought there. Even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. But the thought continues. He loved us with that great love even when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He told Jeremiah, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Jeremiah didn't always walk perfectly. He tried not to speak in the Lord's ways. Jeremiah chapter 20. But he couldn't. He, the Lord wouldn't let him withstand. He couldn't withhold any longer. The Lord's word was in him as a fire. But God loved him with an everlasting love. He has loved each one of us. He has loved his people with an everlasting love as well, even when we were dead in, tres in, in trespasses and sins. What a, what a wonderful God we serve. <clears throat> chapter, chapter 13. Chapter 13 of the Gospel according to John. And verse 34. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I, have, as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. Some people will ask, well, how do I know if that person's a Christian or not? By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. One of, one of, one of the common arguments is our, in, our, in our day is that, oh, these are Christians fighting amongst each other. Christ is divided. One of them isn't a Christian. By, by loving one another, you, you, that is how everyone will know that we are his disciples. That is, that is the telltale sign. He doesn't give another sign. That is, how every, that is how all men will know that we are his, that we have love for one another. I show, you, I show you all of these things so that we know why Christ is saying the things he is saying to the church at Ephesus. It is a big deal to him. They had all the, the proper doctrine, all the right teachings. They had everything laid out perfectly. And they were even doing laboring for his namesake. But they had left off their love for the brethren. World, uh, Paul had also taught... He not only wrote Ephesians, but he had also taught the church at Ephesus many times. And he cared so much for all of the churches of God that he lists it in a, a list of afflictions. And for, in 2 Corinthians 11, in verse 28, he's talking about his physical afflictions. You read that passage yourself. He's talking about his physical afflictions and deaths often, and, and so many times abandoned in the deep. All, all the things he's talking about that have gone on outside the body. And he said, and also that which is inside the body, the care of all the churches. He cared so much that it was, uh, he lists it as an affliction. He cared so much about his brethren. I can't, I, I can't say with, with a right heart that just John was the apostle of love. That, that Paul loved, loved the Lord's people. 
But Paul and John had been given to them as examples, and they had fallen. They, they were walking in those ways, and they had fallen from that. Verse 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent. I thought once we, we, once we became a Christian, we, there was no more repenting. We, we live a life of repentance. That is, these are born again, these are Christian people that the Lord then tells that they need to change their mind. That they need to turn around. Repentance, rep, to repent is literally to turn around. They're going away that the Lord does not want them to go. Repent, turn around, come back to the truth. Come back from where thou art fallen. And do the first works. Love, love of the brethren, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove the candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. He continues to tell them, go back to doing this. It is important. It is a big deal. <clears throat> this is such a big deal to the Lord Jesus Christ that he tells them, I will remove your church from existence. That candlestick, remember the, can the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. He will remove their church out of existence. They will con he's not telling them that they're going to die. He's not telling them that, uh, um, that, he, that he will kill those Christians. He does. Ananias and Sapphira, they were Christians. And they lied to God, and God took them home. Uh, the example I gave this morning, you ever act up as a child and your parents take you by the arm and say, we're going home? That's what the Lord did with Ananias and Sapphira. He's not saying that he's going to do that. He's going to remove their church from existence. It may, the, the, the people may continue to be there. They may continue to gather, but it'll be a goat meal. Or he may remove the assembly altogether, make it to where they can't meet. Can you imagine what it would be like to not ever meet with the saints of God? Or to meet an, or, or an improper doctrine being, being taught? What a, what a despairing way to go. And that is, that is what Christ is threatening if they do not change. That is, it is that big of a deal to the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, verse 6, he does not, the, being the perfect speaker that he is, the perfect encourager, he does not leave them off on a bad note. He leaves them, he gives them a second word of encouragement. We've seen Christ as the speaker. And then that the church at Ephesus was a sound church. They had all the proper doctrine. They, had, they were sound. And that, but they had departed. They had separated from the truth in this one point. The Lord here gives them a, a second word of encouragement. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. As we noted in, in Sunday school, the, the term Nicolaitans could be rendered, it, it, is, it is transliterated from Greek into English, taken from Greek letters, put into English letters. The translation, the meaning of the term is people destroyers or people rulers. It is the idea that the clergy, that the, that the, the pastor, the bishop, the deacons, the elders are over the people of God. We are, they're the, the preacher, the pastor, they're, they're the, they, get, they get one vote, just like the rest of the church, get the, the rest of the church members get one vote. They are not over the church. They are the under-shepherd. They, they lead the flock, but they are not the ruler of the flock. You know of any churches with a command structure other than the Lord at the head of the church? That, that he has people under him and they've got churches underneath them or deacons or so on and so forth? It's where that idea comes from. 
this, this is where the idea comes from, and the Lord hates it. He hates it because they're usurping his authority as Lord of the church. He is the Lord of the local New Testament body, not the pastor, not the deacons, not the elders. The men may lead, but it is the whole church that, that has equal vote. It is, it is the whole church that, that ends up leading the Lord being the Lord, the, being the Lord of the church, being the head of the church. And they hated those that had started that teaching, just as the Lord hated that teaching. The, four, the, the, the last point, verse 7, we've seen that Christ is the speaker, that the church at Ephesus was a sound church. They had all the proper doctrine. They had all the sound teaching, <clears throat> but that they had separated from the truth in this one point. And the Lord told them that unless they repent, he will remove their church from existence. And then provides them a second word of encouragement. The last, verse 7, being the spirit. The Lord acknowledges that it is the spirit that teaches. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. The... We won't have time to go in. We don't have time to go into all of that. Each of those, those specific rewards did need a, a sermon in and of themselves. But understand this. Christianity is a revealed religion. It isn't something that we concoct of ourselves. It wasn't something that was concocted by men. No men could have sat in a room and come up with the things that are, that are taught in the Word of God. It came from God himself. God is the author. God is the one who devised all of these things. Here, Christ acknowledges that it is not us that teach these things. We, we can say and teach things till we're blue in the face. But unless the Holy Spirit gives ears to hear and eyes to see, it will not make a difference. It isn't what we do. Christ, even Christ citing Isaiah 54 in John chapter 6 says, They shall all be taught of God. Do you know that that is one of the differences between the New Covenant and the Old Covenant? You read Jeremiah 33. They shall not all teach every man their neighbor. They shall not teach every man their neighbor, saying, Know the Lord. The Old Covenant, it was about what we did. It was, it was about what, well, I shouldn't say what we did. We're not, we're not Israelites. It was about what the Israelites did. It was about what they could accomplish in their own power. God is the teacher. God is the one who makes the teaching effectual. I can, I can stand up here and beat my fist on the pulpit all day long, and it's not going to make a lick of difference. We teach in hope. We labor in hope that God will perform the work. He is the one who teaches. He is, he is the one who does all the things. That's why Christ always said, even in his earthly ministry, He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the spirit, he that hath an ear, let him hear. What uh, the parable that he had just spoken. Why did he speak in parables? It wasn't to make things understandable. Read Matthew 13. He did it so that men wouldn't understand, that he hid the meaning. He did that on, uh, on purpose. And he even told the disciples that they had been born again, and it wasn't until after his ascension that he opened their understanding that they could understand the scriptures. So even as born-again children of God, we are all being dealt, by the Holy, dealt with by the Holy Spirit, being taught at different times. We're not all in the same place. We're not all going to be at the same maturity level immediately all at the same time. It's part of the love 
that they're talking about. Oh, you, you don't understand that? What's wrong with you? Get out of here. That's, that's not how we are to treat our brethren. We are to love our brethren. Christ is acknowledging that it is a revealed religion. Now, why does he say to him that overcomes? How do we overcome? I said that uh, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't go back to 1 John, but will you come back to 1 John chapter 5? <clears throat> 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? You are an overcomer. Why? Jesus said, John 16, fear not. I have overcome the world. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, you are in Christ. You, what's true of him is true of you. He is an overcomer. That is why. We, we aren't overcomers by anything that we accomplish in and of ourselves. We're overcomers because of our, because of our faith, which is Christ. Christ is, our, Christ is our faith. Before faith came, Galatians talks about that. It's talking about Christ. Before Christ came. Christ, is, many times faith is used. Your faith has made thee whole. Talking about the object of that faith, Christ. Christ, the object of our faith, is what causes us to be overcomers. Why they would hear? Because Christ is the object of their faith. The church in Ephesus is in dire straits. They're in, they're in a very narrow way. They're stuck, metaphorically, between a rock and a hard place. Christ, the speaker, states that they have been teaching sound doctrine, that they are a sound church, so much so that they were able to discern false apostles and that they hate, they cannot bear those that are evil. But their teachings, they had separated from the truth in this one crucial and vital point in a regard so important that the Lord will remove their church from existence if they do not repent, if they do not change their mind. The Lord, as the perfect leader that he is, he does not leave them off on a bad note, but provides them a second word of encouragement by reinforcing sound doctrine is important. Don't forget about that. But loving the brethren is equally as important. There were many of the rest of the churches, they had improper doctrine, and the Lord is, is threatening to remove their churches as well for a different reason. In his conclusion... In Christ's conclusion, he explains that it is still the Spirit. It is still the Spirit that reveals these truths to the individuals, that he desires to know these things, and that, the, and that a reward awaits those that will lean upon Christ and his power. We do not accomplish these things in and of ourselves. Who is it that works in us, in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure? It is the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Lord God himself that works in us, that which is well-pleasing in his sight. It is he that has wrought all of our works in us, Isaiah 26, 12. It is his grace working effectually in us that causes us to labor, Paul said in, in 1 Corinthians 15. Those that would lean upon Christ and his power to work, to, to do the very thing that he encourages them to do, them he will give the reward. Let's bow before our God. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the instruction.